0: Thanks so much for joining us for the New Life Koolangatta podcast. New Life Church is one family, many churches, and we exist to simply see more people more like Jesus by planting and leading thriving local churches. You've joined us in our series, First Peter, hope in the midst of suffering. In this series, we will discover how to experience hope within suffering through learning how to embrace love, submission, and identity in the midst of challenges as we follow the example of Christ. We pray that this message is a blessing. Good morning, everyone. How are we this morning? Yeah. Doing good. If I've not met you, my name is Scott. I'm the, one of the pastors here at New Life Cool and Gather. And we're in week two of an eight-week series on the first letter of Peter. Now, Peter's main theme for this letter is hope in the midst of suffering. Who needs a little bit of hope in the midst of their suffering, right? We all go through it, don't we? At the time of writing this letter, many Christians throughout the Asia area, they were persecuted and put to death for their faith. And many of them actually were forced to flee and live in hiding. And Peter teaches these Christians that persecution is actually a chance to show the world the powerful love of Jesus. You see, Christians are called to live differently, not to fight against persecution or authorities, but to love their enemies, to witness to the grace and the power of God. So in this moment, Christians were scattered throughout the Roman Empire, and this letter was written to be passed around to all the churches in that Asia area. This is not a church letter for one church. This is a, a more general letter. It's not like the letter to the Corinthians where Paul's writing directly to the Corinthian church saying, hey, this is all the weird stuff going on in church and that I hear about and you guys have got to stop that. It's not like that. This is a more generalized letter to a general area to be handed around to all the churches. Because it's more of a general letter, we can take it as a general letter to us as well. So where are we are going to be going today? We're going to be going to 1 Peter Chapter 1, verses 13 to 21. Peter says, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. And through him, you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him so that your faith and hope are in God. Would you join me in prayer before we get into this message? Father God, I just thank you for your word. Lord, there is just so much richness, so much truth that we find written in your word. Lord, we thank you that it reveals your character, your nature. But I pray that you would help me preach your word with truth, with grace. And we love that in the end, God, they wouldn't look to me, that i look to you, the one who brings life, and life in all its fullness. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. So I want to start with a question. Where do you get your moral compass from? How do you know what's right or wrong? Is it from the Australian law? Do you get it from our culture? Is it from what the majority of people around you agree about? Or is it just what you think is right or wrong? It's probably a combination of all these things, right? Like, that's where I got my ideology. That's where I got my my moral compass from before I was a Christian. It was a melting pot of of all these things. And so I would say this was right or this was wrong because that's what I think or that's what the majority of people say. And then I became a Christian at 33. And I started reading God's word. And God had a different moral compass. God had a different way or a different insight into certain things that already had an ideology around, it already had a moral compass around, and, and God challenged some of those moral compasses, like, love your enemies. I'm like, really? Culture says, you don't love your enemies, you, you, you war against them. You don't love those that persecute you, you fight against that stuff. And then Jesus says, if you look at another woman, you've committed adultery in your heart, and I'm like, oh, come on come on, Jesus, it's just a look. Like, I'm not doing anything wrong. But you see, I'd set my moral compass, my ideology, on what the world had told me, but the the Bible actually had something different to say. So what is your your ideology? You might be saying, what does ideology mean? Well, it's just a set of beliefs on which people or groups or countries base their actions. So what you believe is, is how you live. And people think when I tell them that I'm a pastor, they think that I see the world through a Christian ideology because I've brought, been brought up in the faith and I've been conditioned to have certain moral beliefs. But that wasn't the case with me. I didn't grow up in the faith, I grew up in the world, and that's what conditioned me. That's what gave me my ideology. But what I found was the world's ideology and its morals, I found them to be wrong, I found them to be empty. But I found truth and real freedom in the Word of God. And the question is, why is this important? Because your beliefs will actually determine your action. And this is what Peter is teaching here. He says, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy. So be holy in all you do, for it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. He starts with this, therefore, because of last week, because of the beauty of the gospel, that you've been born again to a living hope, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, into an inheritance that's imperishable, because of the beauty of that gospel. Set your minds, your minds may be alert and fully sober. Set it on the grace of God. I love this, because often we think, Our intellect and faith are at opposite ends. But what Peter's teaching us, we need to use our intellect. We need to use our mind to understand the truth of God. They're not at opposite ends. You can use your consciousness. You can use your mind to wrestle with this stuff with your faith in God. The first thing I want to actually explore is verse 15. He says, But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For he's written, Be holy because I am holy. This is a really key part to what Peter is writing here for Christians. But what does it mean to be holy as I am holy? Where well, This verse comes from the Old Testament. It comes from a time where God has called the people of Israel out of the rest of the world. He has this special people and he's like, I need you to be holy as I am holy because I want the world to see my character and nature through you. So for us to be holy, we first need to understand the holiness of God, right? Like, how do I be holy if I don't understand God's holiness? And the first thing we need to understand is God alone is holy. This means that he is unique. He's separate from all other things. He's absolutely pure and perfect. And God is transcendent. What transcendent means, the Latin, the start is a prefix that means trans, which means beyond. And the last bit is skandar, which means to climb. He's beyond climbing. He's beyond us. He's far beyond what we could ever imagine or dream. Every individual aspect of who God is is so uniquely glorious that cannot be fully measured or comprehended. God is glorious. He's incomprehensible. He's inscrutable. He's absolutely perfect in all his ways. And he's beyond the limits or borders of every other thing. He's greater in every way than anything else. You know, there is nothing like God. There is nothing like him. Because God is absolutely free from sin. He's absolutely right. He's absolutely righteous. He's absolutely good. He's absolutely all-powerful. He's absolutely glorious. He's absolutely perfect in all ways. Which means he's totally different from all creation, right? If he's absolutely all those things, creation is not really any of those things. It's not absolutely perfect in all our ways. And it's hard for us to comprehend the holiness of God. And you know what? I think that's actually a good thing. If my little two-kilo brain could comprehend the beauty and the wonder and the holiness of God, he's probably not worthy to be worshipped. But wherever God appears to people in the Bible, he fall, people just fall down at his feet in awe and wonder of his holiness. Like he appears and they're just like, oh, I just now see you as totally different to me. That you are holy and I am not. And they just fall at his feet. Why? Because we're not holy. So how in the world do we be holy as he is holy? It seems like it's impossible or like super tiring, hey? If I've got to work at this. But in the Old book, in the, in the, in the Old Testament, in the book of Leviticus, it records the Lord's emphasis on God's people being holy. And the, the Hebrew word there is kadash which means to be sanctified, be consecrated, be dedicated, or be separate to the world and worldliness. It's actually to be like he is totally separate from everything. He calls us to be separate from the worldly ways. Because we're sanctified through his grace, right? We're made holy by Jesus. Therefore, we're we're, we're now God's children. We're consecrated and separated from the worldliness that we've been brought out of. So in simple terms, for us to be holy... For us to be a people of God is to follow God's ways. We're meant to be separate from the world in action and actually in thought. And he says, so be holy in all you do. In all you do. Not some stuff. Sometimes we compartmentalize where we where we bring God in, right? Like I'll follow God here, but when it comes to this, no, nah, I'm going to do what I want. But Peter's very clear. He's like in all you do. So we need to ask ourselves the question, how do I be holy in all these different situations that I find myself in life? When I'm in my family, when I'm dealing with people that I maybe struggle with in my family or in my workplace, in my community, how I talk, how do I actually spend my free time? How do I be holy in that? How do I engage with technology like social media? How do I see and treat others how do we bring the holiness of god into that well we need to be holy spirit led this is the beauty we have the holy spirit in us right we have the spirit of god to help us and lead us in those so think about this think about the culture that we live in we're actually meant to live differently to them so in moments when people are gossiping and they're slandering say there's a group of people that are doing that do do you get sucked into that do you engage in that gossiping Do you engage in that slandering? Or or are you different? In those moments, are you different to those around you? That people go, oh, there's something different about them. Is that what people would say about you? That you live differently from the culture? Is your faith obvious by your actions? Or do you just blend in like everyone else and start swearing and gossiping and slandering, being lovers of ourselves? Church, we should stand out in a culture as, as different. We should stand out and our culture is different. A.W. Toja says, Holiness is not about being perfect. It's about being committed to growing in godliness and becoming more like Jesus. It's not about being perfect. It's about being committed. I love this. Think about someone who's committed to a sport. They are committed, right? They will train hard and they will bring everything under that commitment. So what they eat, the, how they sleep, what times they train, because they want to be committed to gaining a certain goal, right? They bring all their life underneath that. We're very much like that with work. We're committed to work, and we do all these things to succeed. And unfortunately, sometimes we're more dedicated to our work, our sport, or our pleasures than we are to holiness. He says, be holy in all you do. I love how he starts that, because be is an active word. That means you and I, we have a part to play That means we need to be kind. We need to be caring, gracious, gentle. We need to be patient when normally we're not. We need to be joyful and righteous. We need to be loving and truthful and honest. We need to be separate from the worldly lusts and desires. And look, I'm not standing here saying that I've got all this right. I'm not saying look at me as an example of holiness, someone who is awesome at doing this i'm not like that but my desire is to grow in holiness is to grow in faith so it makes me ask the question how how do we be holy then well verse 14 actually tells us peter says as obedient children do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance you see obedience is a key in scriptures you will see it throughout the scriptures Often we think, well, God's going to make me do it or, or someone else should make me do it. No. In the scriptures, you will see that we are called to be obedient to God, to his laws, to his ways. That's actually on us. In the Old Testament, in the law, it says, obey your parents. Do you know that we've been adopted into the family of God? That means we have a heavenly father that we're meant to obey. We're meant to obey him all ways. We're meant to look like him. You ever heard the term like father, like son? Because you brought up under that leadership. You're brought under that father who loves you and and they mold you and shape you. That should be what we're like. They should look at us and go, oh, wow, they're like him. They have grace. They have patience. They have kindness. You know, the Christians were called Christians in the early church. You find it in Acts. That wasn't their natural name at the beginning. That was the name they were given by non-Christians because they were little Christ-like people running around. They were like, they're like that Christ that they actually preach and teach about they're different than us c.s lewis says christian holiness is not about following a list of rules but following jesus christ it's about living in obedience to his commands and examples but the problem is we get swept back into those evil desires when we lived in ignorance before we knew god and understood his word and the world's actually trying to conform us to its ways its desires and its ideologies right can I get an amen? Like, to be honest, we, we easily get sucked back into sin because it's, it's all around us. It's tempting us 24 7, no matter where we look. But we are encouraged to obey God. You know, remember when, like I told you at the start, when I started reading the Bible, I started getting convicted of God's ways versus the ways of the world. But in that moment, I had a choice. I had a choice to be convicted of that and obey or reject that and continue doing what I'm doing. Now, we all actually have a choice to obey or disobey, to live a holy life or an unholy life. But sometimes we think if we obey God, then we're going to miss out on the pleasures of life. Timothy Keller says, Holiness is not about denying ourselves pleasure. It's about finding our truest pleasure in God. When we live a holy life, we're not giving up anything. we actually gain the greatest treasure in the universe. You know, this is what I found when I started actually obeying God. Even at first when I was like, oh, that's a bit rough. That's a bit too far, isn't it? When I actually started obeying God, I found it brought liberty. It brought freedom. It brought beauty into my relationships. You see, we're not losing anything. We're actually gaining something way more beautiful. And he says, don't conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. You know, when I lived before I got saved, I was in ignorance. I was in ignorance of sin. But here's the thing, I was reaping the fruit of that sin. I had no peace. I had no purpose. I had no meaning in my life. I was wondering why all of my life seemed like a bit of a mess. And we do, we live in ignorance. I had a mate at the wars when I was working at the wars and I was preaching Jesus to him consistently. And he said to me, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to know about it. And I'm like, why mate? And he's like, because if it's true, that means I can't drink. I can't look at porn. I can't do all these things I want to do. I'm like, man, you don't get it. It's not that I have to follow a set of rules now. It's that God's changed my heart. I don't desire those things anymore. He's given me a new spirit. And I've realized that those things were actually causing me death. But Jesus brings life. And unfortunately, sometimes we Christians, we plead ignorance too. But we have God's word. We have access to the truth that will set us free from sin and the ignorance we once lived in, but we don't actually read it. Church, we need to read the Word. But sometimes we don't because it's convicting, right? Sometimes we don't want to know about our sin because then we can just plead ignorance and say, well, I didn't know God said that wasn't okay. So I'll just stay away from His Word because I might get convicted about what I'm doing. We can't do that anymore. Because if we profess to know God, we must know His ways. We must know His heart. We must know Him. And if we really know Him, we want to reflect Him and His holiness to the world. it's all there in the Bible. John Stott says, Obedience is not an optional extra for Christians. It's an essential part of the Christian life. We're called to obey God because He's our Creator and Lord and because He loves us. I love it how He makes this distinction there. Because often we come into church and, and we want forgiveness, right? We want this ticket to heaven. So, say, oh, yeah, I'll take Jesus as my Savior, but we don't take Him as Lord. You see, we come under the Lordship of Christ. And when you come under the Lordship of someone, that's somebody that you obey. You know, the Christian life is, is having a Lord and Savior, it's not just one or the other. He's God Almighty, and we're called to obedience in that. And in light of this point, Peter then gives us a warning. He says, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. He says, since you call on the father, since you claim to know him, since you claim to be a Christian, since you claim to be a follower of Jesus under the lordship of him, know this, that God judges each person's work individually. He judges my work. He judges your work. We can't hide under someone else. And he judges impartially. That means we don't compare ourselves to others and go, well, I'm not as bad as Christian as that person. So they're really bad. So in comparison to them, I'm not too bad. So I'm going to keep sinning the way I'm sinning. He judges impartially. We stand before him, each and every one of us, on our own. He's not judging us compared to anyone else. He's judging us compared to what he's actually asked us to do, what he's convicted our hearts to do. And he says, Live out your time. Do you know you have been personally placed in this place at this specific time with a specific mission? Each and every one of us have been placed here to be the body of Christ, to live out our faith. And he says, Live as foreigners. Do you know we're part of a different kingdom now? When we've been brought into the kingdom of God, we're part of a different kingdom. We're under a different king. We're now God's holy people called to be separate from lust and the sin of the world, just like foreigners in a different country. You now I remember the first time I went to Indonesia for surfing was back in 97, such a long time ago, I'm so old. Went back to, in, in 97 and I got off the plane and it was so obvious I was a foreigner. Like oh, I was a tall, blonde, blue-eyed guy, Indonesians are quite short, they're darker complexion. Like I'm walking around and everyone's like, you're not from here. You're totally not from here. Everyone knew I was from a different country. But in the same way, we should stick out like that in our culture due to how we live. We should be so countercultural to how everyone else is acting, they should say, you stick out like a sore thumb. So we're meant to be like foreigners in a foreign country. and He says, in reverent fear. In reverent fear of who? The Holy One who judges. You see, God hates sin. That's clear in the Bible, and He hates sin even in His children. Does that mean we need to be afraid of Him? No, because Jesus took the judgment, we need to have a reverent fear of God. Because He doesn't like sin. Because when we sin, we're just disrespecting His grace that's been poured out on us. When we willingly sin, we're rejecting his lordship over our lives and we're being disobedient children. We're not being holy as he is holy. We should have this reverent fear that God actually sees our sin and, and how we live. Now, the fear of God is, as I said, it's not this, I'm afraid, it's, it's understanding God's character and his nature. He's like a good father. It's like when my boys sin. I don't go, oh, that's okay, who cares? As a good father, the Bible is very clear, you need to chasten your children. I'm like hey, that's not okay. That's really disappointing that you did that. Let me tell you why. I don't remove my love from them, but I also don't like the sin. And I'll bring conviction to them, but out of love, I'll I'll train them in the ways of the good. And this is how we should see the Father. He loves us so much that he's willing to convict us. And that's with beauty of the grace, that he wants to grow us in holiness, that we'll actually never stand before him for, for our sin because Jesus has paid for that. And then Peter tells us why we should have reverence for God. He says, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. We should have reverent fear of the Lord because we're redeemed by the holy blood of Christ. He says you were redeemed from the empty way of life. Do we know how empty sin is? Empty uh, sin promises all of these beautiful things and when you engage with them you find them to be empty. You find them to bring something totally different. Sin's like a present under the Christmas tree and when you unwrap it you find that it's empty and what you thought you'd find in there just wasn't there. And he says you're redeemed. What does redeemed mean? Well, the definition of redeem, it actually finds its context in the social, legal, religious customs of the ancient world. And it's a metaphor of redemption. It includes things like loosing from a bond, setting free from captivity or slavery, buying back something lost or sold, exchanging something in one's possession for something possessed by another, and ransoming. This is the beauty of redemption. We've actually been redeemed. We've been loosed from a bond, which was sin. As Christians, when we have the Holy Spirit, we're not under, we're not a slave to sin anymore. We're a slave to righteousness, the Bible says. Our desire is to be righteous. We're actually set free from captivity or slavery. We are under the bond, we are under the penalty of death because of our sin. But through Jesus, we're set free from the penalty of death and we're given eternal life. It's like buying something back that's lost or stolen. What was lost in the garden when we sinned was relationship with God the ability to have eternity with Him. But Jesus redeemed us from that lost relationship, that we now have relationship with Him. And it's ransoming. Jesus paid our debt. Do we know that there is a debt for our sin that we just can't pay? And Jesus actually paid that. There's a cost to our sin, and it can't be paid by silver or gold or anything else in all creation. You're redeemed not by silver or gold, but the precious blood of Christ Christ. You know, there's only one currency that God will accept for the payment of your sin. It's the blood of Christ. You ever been in another country and not had the right currency? I just did in Israel. I was over there and I hadn't changed any when I got over there. And so I was hitting up Pete and Vanessa and others going, Oh, can I borrow some money? Because it didn't matter what I went to go and get, they just wouldn't accept my money. They had the power there, right? They said, This is what I'll accept. God knew the only thing that would pay for sin of the world was his own perfect, pure blood. Why? Because life is in the blood, amen? We know this by nature. The blood carries around oxygen, nutrients. It brings life to the body. Without it, we are dead. You see, sin brought death, and we need the blood of Jesus to bring us back to life. It's almost like we need a blood transfusion because life is in the blood, and Jesus shed his holy, perfect sinless blood for you to redeem you back to a sinless state, a holy state, where you can be in the presence of a holy and righteous God for eternity. Martin Luther says, the blood of Christ is the foundation of life. It's the source of our forgiveness, our healing, and our salvation. It's the only thing that can give us true peace and joy. You know it's the blood of Christ is the only thing that can save us, to bring us life and life eternal. And the beautiful thing is, The price paid tells you the value of the goods, right? Like think about a house and it goes to auction. Whatever they're willing to pay is the value of that house, right? So people get around, they start bidding and there's a bidding war and they go, this is the value of the house because people are willing to pay that. Do you know the most precious thing in all creation that you are that precious thing? You are the most precious thing in all creation. Therefore, God was willing to pay the ultimate price for you to redeem you. The perfect holy one came and was murdered for you and he paid with his life. What's more valuable than gold and silver and anything in all creation? God himself. God wanted to show you your true value, how precious you actually are to him. He wanted to show you, look, I will pay the highest possible price for you to show you how much I love you, how precious you are, how valuable you are to me. The Holy One, Jesus, stepped in for the unholy. The perfect sacrifice with any sin stepped in to take the judgment of sin for you and me. Isaiah 53, it says it beautifully. It was a prophecy about Jesus to come. He says, Surely he took our pain and bore our sufferings. Yet we considered him punished by God and stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgression He was crushed for our iniquities and the punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to our own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This is the beauty of the gospel right here. That Jesus would come, that he would lay his life down to show you how valuable you are, that he would actually go to the cross, he would be pierced he'd be beaten, he'd be scourged, he'd be mocked on that cross to take upon your sin, that perfect sacrifice, and God would lay on him, on the cross, your iniquity, my iniquity, our sin, that he would actually die for us and then bury it in the grave. You see, Romans 6, 23 says, For the wages of sin is death, the cost, the debt is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Do we know that this is actually a gift? That when we repent of our sin, when we put our faith and trust in him, we need to receive the gift of salvation? Does a band want to come up? And Peter finishes with this. He says, He was chosen, talking about Jesus, before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. So your faith and hope are in God. You know, Jesus knew that he would come and save humanity from their sins, from the foundation of the world. What does that tell us? It tells us about God's holiness, that is He all other than anything else in all creation, that he's all knowing, that he's absolutely sovereign, that he's all loving, that he goes, you know what, before any of this starts, I know what's going to happen if you give people free will. They're going to reject me, but you know what, that's okay. I'm willing to come and die for them. It shows us the all-knowing and all-powerful character of God. And God's character is actually revealed in the life of Jesus. And it's only through Him that we get to have faith in God. And to prove His promise to us, to prove the payment of sin has been accepted, says God raised Jesus from the dead and glorified Him. See, so our faith and hope is not in our holiness, but in Jesus'. Your hope is not what you can do. Your hope is not how far you can climb. Our hope is squarely on the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross and the gift of salvation to all those who believe. Martin Luther says, this hope is not based on our own abilities or merits, but on the promises of God. We know our hope is secure in Jesus. because Our hope is grounded in the holy love of God, which is unfailing and perfect love. You see, God is holy. He's above all creation. He's above sin, and nothing can defeat or overcome him. And that's why if we're in Jesus, if we have faith in him, we're not subject to sin or the judgment of sin because we've been forgiven and we've been imputed his righteousness and holiness. And we see an archetype of this or an illustration of this in the Ark, in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament. That Noah and his family were saved, how they went into the ark. They were shielded by the storm. They floated above the storm. The judgment of God was coming, and they were in the ark. We too need to be in Christ. And the only way to be in Christ, to be shielded, uh, shielded from that judgment, is to repent and put our faith and trust in Him. And because of this great mercy poured out on us, we're actually called to live a holy life through the power of the Holy Spirit that actually points to the power. Love and reality of God. Joe Packer says, Holiness is not a destination, it's a journey. We're all on a journey to become more like Christ and we'll never arrive at perfection in this life, but we can grow in holiness by the power of the Holy Spirit and we can experience the joy of living a life that's pleasing to God. That's all I want. I actually just want to live a life that's pleasing to God, that shows people His love and His grace. Do you? Therefore, in chapter 1, verses 13 to 21, he's just teaching Christians, be holy, be holy as God is holy. He says, in all you do. How do we do that? We do that as obedient children. We know that God judges impartially. So we need to live our time as foreigners. We need to be different to those cultures around us in reverent fear and know that you were bought at a price a price that shows your true value, how much God actually loves you. And lastly, our faith and hope are in God. Praise God for that. It's not in me. Hear the wisdom of Peter. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, I just pray that your holiness would even just descend on this place right now. Come, Holy Spirit. God, would you open our eyes to see how beautiful and wonderful and holy and righteous and just you are. Lord God, I pray that you would give us a reverent fear of sin a reverent fear of the way that we act and react in this world. That we wouldn't go too far and, and be depressed, but we'd understand your grace, your calling in our lives. We'd step into that in obedience, God. Father, I pray for conviction through your word. That wherever we're not walking in step with you, God, you would just correct our course like a loving father. Lord, in this moment, I just feel as though myself, and I think for us here, we just need to repent. Repent for not walking with you. Repent for pleading ignorance. Repent for not digging into your word. So God, I pray that you'll forgive us. But Lord, don't leave us here. Help us grow in holiness and righteousness and goodness just as you are good. In this moment of prayer, you may have never asked Jesus for forgiveness. You may have never known how valuable you are, that he was willing to pay the highest price possible for you to show you your true value, that he loves you, he wants to redeem you, he wants to restore you, he wants to have a relationship with you. So I ask the Holy Spirit to come right now. If you want to put your faith and trust in Jesus, be restored, be redeemed. just love you to raise your hand. I'd love to pray for you. Thank you. Lord, I just thank you so much for your mercy and your grace the truth that we find in your word, that if we repent of our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So in this moment, just ask God for forgiveness. Ask him to fill you with his Holy Spirit. And he will give you a new heart, a new spirit, and renew your mind. And Lord, we pray all this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Would you like to stand? We're going to sing a few songs now where we get the opportunity to actually worship God. Now, I believe that God is worthy of our worship. Amen. I believe he's worthy of us sometimes stepping out of our comfort zone and actually singing louder than we normally would sing. Maybe raising our hands to say, God, I bring nothing to this. But I just receive your grace and your love. So how about we worship God because he is worthy of all worship and praise. Thanks again for listening to the New Life Podcast. If that stirred something within you or you'd like prayer, you can head to church.nu forward slash prayer or contact us through our Instagram or our Facebook page. We pray that you have a great week. Be blessed.